Well, hey there. Welcome to The Real Podcast, hosted by Jason Kaliba. We think that real people are interesting, not just celebrities and superstars, but also the guy standing in line next to you at the grocery store and the kid beside you in church. We're passionate about sharing the stories and insights of those people, real people, so that you're challenged and maybe even inspired to grow. If you'd like additional resources or more information about our guests, check out our webpage at cochranalliance.com backslash real. So, let's get real. All right, here we go. Um, I am a father of four daughters who are currently early teenage years, or maybe even one is like middle teenage years, but I've got an eight-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 15-year-old. And it seems, uh, this is cliche, but it seems like yesterday that Cindy and I were talking about how many kids we were going to have and uh, doing the diapers and putting food in to people and cleaning them up as it came out of them and getting them dressed and getting them started in school and helping them walk. And as all parents know, those years transition really quickly. And soon you find yourself not dealing with the simple issues like scrapes and bruises or uh, someone who's hungry, but more complex issues of a person navigating who they are and do they want to follow God and how do they feel about uh, your opinions and direction as a parent. And that is precisely where I am as a dad these days. So it is uh, a privilege uh, to bring into the real studio today uh, a longtime friend of mine, Sam Seifert. Sam and I, like many guests, it seems we have a, a bit of a long history in that when we were younger, in the early 90s, we attended the, uh, maybe not quite Ivy League school, but uh, Prairie Bible College was a stomping ground of ours in our late teens, early 20s, and uh, Sam and I both went there. And it's uh, been neat as our uh, ministry paths have overlapped a bit as we've served in Alliance churches in the Calgary area. So Sam, welcome to The Real Studio today. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know a little bit about you, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, since we're talking uh, family and, and kids today. Tell us a little bit about that as well as your professional life. For sure. Well, I'm a dad of two girls and I never thought I'd have girls since I grew up in a family of all boys. If you're uh, going to be on my staff ever, <laughs> actually, you're not allowed to have boys. Of all the people on staff, uh, I think there's like only one of my pastoral staff who has one boy, all the rest of the whole team is girls only. Isn't so that crazy? you'll be welcome here anytime. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in uh, Eastern Montana and my goal growing up was I wanted to be a fighter pilot. That was, mm. that was my dream. So uh, I got my pilot's license in high school and uh, talked with the Air Force and was going to go to the academy and they didn't guarantee if I signed up that I'd be flying. So mm. I kind of closed that door, and so I started looking elsewhere, and my dad happened to come across a, uh, in a Christian magazine an article about uh, Prairie had just started. Their aviation program. Aviation program. Mm. And it was about a 10-hour drive up north, so we came up and checked it out, and it was a small school. It was a Bible school, probably was something good for me at the time, so I came up here and started flying, and, and I didn't, that's what I wanted to do, was fly. So... At Prairie, I met my wife, Cammie. We've been married now for 21 years, and well, uh, that's where God kind of changed the direction of my life and moved into pastoral ministry, and that's where I ended up in some classes with you <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. So if people want the real stories of Jason in the early days, feel free to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> they are not very interesting, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, we got married, and uh, since I was a... Uh, American, it was easier to get uh, married up here and stay up here with my wife having a job here and and went into ministry. Okay. And uh, that has, over time, uh, led uh, you to engage with families. So tell us a little bit about that journey, how you've gone kind of from, I think, starting in, with youth in particular, but also thinking about families more generally has been part of your trajectory. Yeah, so early on got into uh, working with uh, preteens, grade five, six, and junior high as at Foothills Alliance Church. And 
um, through the process of working with students and leaders and growing in my understanding of generational faith and legacy and Mm -hmm. what does that look like and who are the bigger influences. And at this time, um, kind of family ministry was just kind of breaching across North America, a little Mm -hmm. bit mostly in the States. And um, really the conversations were leaning more towards we have, as churches, done a disservice to, to families by saying we're the professionals, drop your kids off here, and we'll train them mm-hmm. and disciple them when God has patterned the family to be the significant place where discipleship happens because of just the time and the influence that God has automatically given into a mom and dad's window for their kids' lives as well. So really began to research that and figure that out and began to shift our ministry into much more of a, we need to equip parents to figure out how to actually lead their kids. Because Mm -hmm. as I grew up, that was the pattern my parents did. My parents were my disciple makers. Mm -hmm. Even though my dad was a pastor, we went to church, but they were the ones that influenced me. It wasn't the Sunday school or the youth group or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so to see that in my own personal life, wanted to have that for other people Mm -hmm. as well. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's a, a significant kind of journey that I've been on and have been really promoting that across our city as well with the conversation I've had. It's great to see more and more pastors becoming more family ministry and Mm. churches kind of leveraging kind of the parent equipping side a little bit more Mm. just to help them in this journey. I remember reading some of those stats, like uh, who's the, as as junior high students were interviewed in that one big survey, uh, they asked, you know, who are the major significant influencers in your life? Mom was number one, dad closely at number two. Then I think there was into grandparents, other family members, and pastors were like down at like five or seven <laughs> or something like that. So I think they were it, negative influence. <laughs> <laughs> makes you wonder who, who I'm influencing in my life. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's your current role, uh, Sam? Where are you now? What do you what uh, What keeps you busy most of the day? Well, I've been a family pastor at Southview Church for ten years, and I've just uh, transitioned into senior ministry leader, uh, overseeing all the ministry of our church and really the discipleship pathways uh, for our whole congregation, which is multi generational, mm. not only multi ethnic in what we do, but multi generational, mm. which we believe is the picture of the kingdom of God. Mm. It's not going to be segregated from kids to parents or to adults or grandparents. It's going to be all together as a community of faith growing together. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, the the questions that I'd like to dig in with you a little bit have to do with uh, especially zeroing in on uh, pre-adolescence or early adolescence, so somewhere age 11 to 13, 10 to 14, somewhere in there. Uh, but before maybe we talk about particularly what's going on in the lives of our kids, um, if if parents are indeed the the primary influencers of the values the faith of of their kids um what do we as parents need to be thinking about about us first before we go okay this is where my kids at this is what they need these are the boundaries or the expectations of the conversations they need to have? How do I invest in myself so that I'm passing on good qualities to my kids? Yeah, it's a great question because I think as churches, we need to remind parents along the way of their unique role that God's given to them. Mm. Uh, First and foremost, understanding that our kids are a gift from God. Um, That's from Psalm 127. And I mean, as you move into the tweener years or whatever you want to call them, the mm-hmm. preteen years into the adolescent years, I just encourage parents to to have that Bible verse memorized because you're going to need it a lot. You just got to look <laughs> at your kid and just constantly say, my kid is a gift. My mm-hmm. kid is a gift because <laughs> there's going to be moments where they're, you're going to think they're not. Yeah. Um, but I think that's foundational to uh, parents. And I think as much as we can is reminding that it's not just parents, but it's bringing along other, other people into the journey with us. Mm. Um, because uh, even in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about how we're to pass on um, this faith, this story, not only to our children, but to our grandchildren. And so there's multi-generational mm-hmm. influence here as well. And so I think it's moving beyond just in our congregations, in, in our, our settings where people are growing in faith, for them, for us to think that we just assume they know their unique role, mm-hmm. I think we need to acknowledge it because I think there's empowerment when people actually know 
you have a significant influence in this person's life that no one else can do hmm. except you. Hmm. Is that daunting? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a great responsibility. I think that's what forces us as parents to begin to really lean into our own personal faith, uh, to who are the people that are helping me grow? Mm-hmm. Who are the mentors in my life? If I want mentors for my kids, like, am I modeling those things in my own personal spiritual growth? Am I living an authentic faith? It doesn't mean I'm living a perfect faith, but it's, it's a living faith. Mm. And I think our kids understand we're not perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, so I think so. <laughs> so it's, why would we then try to pretend we're something that we're not when they already see it anyway? Mm-hmm. But I think the more that we can become real with them in our own struggles as a family, incorporating that as a kind of a, a unit together, whatever we're walking through. Like for us, for our kids, it's, it's, we want them to know the challenges that I'm having at work, mm. um, the challenges we're having with a neighbor or some friends, because they can pray for us. They can be involved in it, and it becomes a solidifying factor for our family mm. that we're in this together, and it's, there's going to be a day when they're going to want to ask for our prayer and support. Mm-hmm. And if we're not modeling that to them, they're going to be like, well, what's wrong with my faith? Like, mom and dad never have issues or never have problems with these things, or they don't wrestle with questions mm. or think through these things. And mm. I mean, kids are a great way to show you how much theologically you don't understand because of some yeah. of the really weird questions that you're like, wow, that's a great question. I never <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> I know I was just talking with my uh, my worship pastor about, uh, uh, as he was reading parts of the Bible about spiritual gifts coming up and asking his mom, mom, how come... How come none of this stuff is happening in our church? And she, <laughs> she, she didn't have any answers for the questions. Just told them to keep reading, I think. Yeah. Okay. But, I, but I think what's important for parents to understand is, is studies have shown that the most important determining factor for our kids' spiritual growth is mom's and dad's spiritual growth. Hmm. That is the number one key indicator for a kid to grow in faith. So as my faith goes, basically so goes my kid's faith. Hmm. So the questions become, am I growing spiritually? Am I growing in my understanding of God's word? Am I spending time in it? Am I listening to the voice of God through my personal journey? Mm-hmm. Am I praying, talking with God, modeling that in my family? Am I serving? Am I sacrificing for my friends, my neighbors, uh, my church? Because they're going to see all of those things. Am I actually telling the, the stories of who God is and what he's done? Like in the Old Testament, they set up all the stone markers to be reminders to say, look, this is what God did. Mm. We want to pass on to the coming generations the wonders of who God is. Mm. I mean, Psalm 78 talks about that, passing on this faith to the coming generations that will tell the stories. And half the time is we're just too busy sometimes, I think, in our culture to say, let's actually take these opportunities. But it's leveraging the opportunities we have. We all drive with our kids. We all spend time with them in the evenings or Mm -hmm. on the weekends but it's looking at for those opportunities as families and learning from other families. That's one of the things that we do is we always ask uh, parents that are ahead of us in the faith journey or in the parenting journey that we kind of look up to and we're like, wow, their, their kids kind of turned out pretty good. Yep. So I actually, as a parent, and this is just outside of my pastoral ministry, yep. I take them out for coffee hmm. specifically to ask them, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And I've learned some great things from some dads that have girls because I don't know how to raise girls. I, I didn't grow up with girls. Mm. And so I'm learning some great things from these parents of what they did, what didn't work. And I'm gleaning these truths because I want to do this to the best of my ability because I'm going to be held responsible for what mm. I passed on to my kids' lives, mm. knowing that they still have their own choices, but I want to do the very best to give them the, the best opportunity. Mm. I remember uh, reading somewhere... Uh, I think it was like a church in L.A. that uh, a woman was asking Henri now and some questions, uh, and she was going through some tough times with her son. And the question boiled down to like, how do I, how do I help my? What's the best thing I could do to help my son follow God and do better in his his life? And his response is, the best thing you can do for your son is to be a growing person yourself. Mm. And that's uh, that stuck with with me quite a bit yeah. over the years. So true, and I think. Part of this is, is just understanding that it's, it's easier than we think, but it's also more complicated than we think. Sometimes we can overcomplicate things and just actually forget to do the 
simple things, mm. the everyday things. And then sometimes parenting is challenging. Mm-hmm. And I find that the, the things that require all of you are usually the things that are worth the most in life. Mm. And parenting is definitely one of those things mm. that requires the most. And, and coming from ministry, um, it was interesting when I was a junior high youth pastor, and I would always do parent conferences and parent equipping sessions, and this was the time I didn't have kids. So I would walk into the room thinking I knew everything, right? right. Because <laughs> I don't have teenagers, but I work with them, you know, and I can say anything because I don't have any personal experience. Yeah. So I remember I did a series that was called uh, 10 Rules for Raising Godly Kids. And uh, then we had a, our daughter come along, Ava, who's uh, 11 now, and it became 10 Suggestions for Raising Good Kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then two years after that, we had our second uh, daughter, Sydney, uh, who's nine now, and it became uh, Five Ideas That Might Help. <laughs> and then I was talking with a parent who had three kids, and they said, maybe if you had a third kid, you could just say, you know, three tips for surviving parenthood. <laughs> so ex- good, experience like became very clear to me that, you know, Parenting isn't easy, but God has given us a great picture through Scripture mm. of how, how to do those things. And, and the reality is most parents want to do it right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, if you go to the hospital, to the maternity ward, and watch parents walk out of the hospital, none of them are saying, it's like, man, I can't wait to mess up this yeah. kid's life. I want to do a terrible job. They're freaking out. They're like, I can't believe the hospital let me walk out with mm-hmm. this thing. Mm-hmm. You know? So... If they're already starting with this framework, it helps to understand that they want to do it right. But I think in our culture, especially churches, there's this idea that we have to have a perfect family. We Mm -hmm. have to have it all together. And I think that's detrimental because then that's where our kids grow up and they feel a little bit of the hypocrisy because they're like, well, we go to church on the weekend, we all look great, but we know what life is really like at home and those kind of things, and I think it's just moving to that reality. And there's a, a, a great uh, great scene in the, if you've seen the movie Incredibles, mm-hmm. like the first one, not the, not the second one yep. that came out, uh, but there's a great scene in the early part of the film where they're having a family dinner. Yep, I remember and it. dinner at the Parr house was, you know, deteriorating into pandemonium around the dinner table, and little baby squealing and clapping as brother's sister are going kind of WWE on each other at the table. And the mom grabs each child with her stretchy hands, Elastica girl, and uh, they take the fight under the table as she's trying to restore order. And Bob Parr is in the other room reading a newspaper, if you remember the scene, and he's physically present, but he's relationally absent. Mm -hmm. And finally, his wife kind of flings a frantic plea in his direction. Bob, it's time to engage. Don't just stand there. Do something. I need you to intervene. And to his credit, I mean, he does. Uh, The problem is Mr. Cradable has no clue how to engage the situation wisely, so his engagement results in kind of greater chaos as he lifts the table with all the kids and everyone's, and he starts saying, you want me to intervene? I'll intervene. <laughs> <laughs> and then the doorbell rings, and suddenly everyone scrambles for a seat at the table, and by the time the door opens, what the visitor sees mm-hmm. is a perfectly calm, all-together family. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of parents kind of walk in Mr. Incredible's shoes for a long time, they observe their children's spiritual development kind of from a distance, a disengaged distance. They've watched our youth and children's pastors or churches or whatever kind of stretch and strain to kind of help promote growth for them. And though as a staff in our church, we've tried to hide it from them. Most of the parents have noticed that maybe we don't even have it all together as staff. Mm -hmm. But so they watch and they wonder, and they, should I be playing a larger role in the life of my kid? in the discipleship of my kid. And now there's this kind of explosion of family ministry. Parents, you're the primary disciple makers in kids' lives. You got to do it. And everyone's screaming, it's time to engage. It's time to engage. The problem is a lot of our parents don't know how. Hmm. They just, they don't have the tools. They didn't grow up in a family that modeled what discipleship looked like Hmm. in those things. And we're saying, okay, we acknowledge you're disciple makers, but how do we come alongside and actually help them understand the hows? So I think it's important for us as um, churches, whether you're a parent, um, a church leader, uh, when you come, parents are asking basically three silent questions if you were to actually have a conversation with a parent. They're asking these three questions. The first one is, please give me a plan. Because hmm. most parents are parenting reactively. Mm-hmm. They want to parent proactively, 
but they just can't. They want a plan that will give them a system of support, consistent influence, and mm-hmm. really a steady flow of relevant information. So they're looking, how do I do this? And then sec- second is show me how it works. It's great to have the plan, but actually show me, and that's a model of discipleship. Mm. Uh, Jesus didn't just teach his disciples about the kingdom. Like, he showed them what it was by how he lived his life, and they had, you know, they were invited into his life. Mm. And that's the reality for parents, is inviting our kids into our story of what God's doing and walking the journey together, but they need to know, how does that work? What does that look like? Because parents need influence as much as children do. And so they really do desire to be engaged in the process in a way that prompts them to take really the next best step. Mm. And that's why I think today, looking at this season, because so oftentimes I think parents get this, you know, I have a two-year-old and I'm already thinking, okay, what if my kids, you know, what they can do on the internet? What what are they going to do with drugs? Are they going to have good friends? (laughs) It's like, okay, they're two. Mm -hmm. Let's, Let's focus on this window and do a really good job in our parenting for what they need. Mm. Let's deal with that when they get to the pre-adolescent year. And then when they get to the adolescent year, let's focus on those things. And I think if you can take those chunks and focus in on those areas, I think you can leverage your influence in much greater ways, which we're talking about Instead of just thinking about zero to 18. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's do that then. Um, And thinking particularly about this pre-adolescent zone, um, maybe just give me, uh, because it's so big, like, Here's my child. Help me shape them into a a good person. Um, what are some of the the categories or the um, or the zones of their life that is changing during that that season that maybe can give me uh, as I look at my my daughter and go, okay, here are a few different a, f- a few of the different layers that I should should be thinking about rather than just, well, they're a person and I got to help them be a better person. So how do you, what are the areas that are, and the change that are changing, uh, between ages 10 to 13 for, Mm -hmm. for my daughter? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, a big part of that is understanding where they've come from because in development, um, kids in elementary school are primarily motivated by fun. So if you can make basically anything into a game, you got their attention Hmm. because that's what they're motivated by. Mm -hmm. And they think like a scientist. They're very concrete thinkers. So everything in their world is very concrete. They haven't moved to an abstract way of thinking yet. They can't think outside of themselves Hmm. and what's touchable and tangible and things like that. So even in the faith development, that's why you want to have a lot of tactile kind of things with part of the conversation of faith. When you go out for a walk, you want them to touch things and attach that to the story of God, that God is the creator of all Mm. things, because it solidifies in their mind that God is real. So like in our church, we have uh, down our big hallway, we have rocks um, from all of the different stories of scripture. And they're down at a level where kids can actually touch them because we want kids to come alongside and see that the story of scripture is actually rooted in history. Mm. It's not some like story of... God that Mystical we can't story that cuz they can't they yeah. can't comprehend a god that's invisible. Mm. They don't they can't see those things and so the more that we can help them touch and do these things it really helps them. So now what happens then in the developmental stages and this is kind of really dependent on a child because they can all morph through this window at different seasons. Mm-hmm. But basically grade 5 to grade 8 you're moving then into more of an abstract way of thinking. Puberty is starting to hit, and now it's rewiring the whole system. Hmm. So they're moving from kind of a scientific exploration kind of method to more of an engineering kind of mindset. Okay. So with an engineering mindset, basically engineers solve problems by connecting concepts um, so they work together. Hmm. So uh, middle school students personalize abstract concepts by connecting ideas. That's how they start to think, much like an engineer does. They kind of look at things and they start to connect all the pieces okay. together. So during this season, uh, puzzles, um, all sorts of kind of things that kind of force their mind to look. And that's why in this season, it's really helpful for them to see how Scripture is one big story that's connected all together. Hmm. Instead of looking at individual stories David and, and there. Goliath as an independent little story but you're saying, well, what's God doing in this on the scope of the thing, 
the bigger story, the movement of scripture from creation, fall, redemption to consummation. It's helping them see the bigger side of this because now they're going to be starting to look at this from, okay, this, this concept over here, I'm connecting ideas from the story of scripture that actually help personalize mm. my faith okay, and moving those things forward. So that's kind of a, a bigger overview of the understanding of how they think moving into those things. So, so really in this phase, when we're talking about, I'm looking at kind of grade five to eight. So we're looking at age kind of 10 to 13 ish in yep. that window. Um, this is a phase where as a parent, nothing you do is going to be cool anymore. I mean, we're already experienced it with our grade six, uh, child, like, you know, you know, don't embarrass me in front of my friends, mm-hmm. you know, didn't <laughs> drop me off here. So nobody sees like, it's so weird. Like you're 11, come on, yeah. like, what's going on? <laughs> I'm so cool. <laughs> um, everything is fun in a crowd. That's why as they begin to, you'll start to see more pods of kids together because they want that relational. Mm-hmm. It's opening up to them, their world. And this kid who's growing, they will constantly be that smart person in the room. They'll be, they'll constantly be saying, yeah, I know, mm. I know. You'll be reminding them, it's like, yeah, I know, because yeah. they think they know all of these things. So you're going to start to begin to realize just how embarrassing you can be as a parent. And I think this ties back to our original things that we were talking about. What can I do as a parent before I lead my kid? First and foremost, I need to be okay with who I am. Because they're going to challenge that. Because they're going to challenge that. And if my identity isn't rooted in God's love for me, I'm going to quickly go off the deep end because I'm going to have somebody living 24-7 in my house that says I'm not good enough, Mm. I'm not smart enough, and I'm not cool enough. And then as a parent, I can actually begin to operate out of those identity markers instead of the true ones that I need to be growing out of, Mm. which is my identity in Christ. Trying to fit the the mold that my kid wants me to be. Exactly. And I can actually put things onto my kid because of my own insecurities as a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, look good because I need to look good. You know, act right because I Mm -hmm. would be embarrassed if my kids don't do the right things. Mm -hmm. And so often if we're out and our kids are misbehaving, we have no problems just having the conversations with them that this is inappropriate behavior. And if anyone's watching, who cares? It's our family and we're going to parent in a way that we want to honor God. Mm And we're okay with who we are. Sometimes is it embarrassing? Yeah, you just have to deal with that. Like those are God moments for myself that I need to process. Why am I feeling this, God? Like what do you want to teach in my heart to grow me? Hmm. And that's all I think part Hmm. of. So you're going to get uh, challenged um, in those areas. Um, You know, uh, insecurity is an unspoken force that keeps this phase wonderfully awkward. Uh, even the most confident middle school student may choose a group Halloween costume. They don't want to always stand out mm. on their own. Uh, they walk together in pairs. They usually find themselves with a big herd. I mean, if you go to a grade five, six event, it's just a group of girls or a group of guys. They're all together mm-hmm. like all the time because they're insecure. They're growing into this world of abstract thinking. Okay, if I can think this about myself, that means somebody else can think this about me. Therefore, wow, other people are thinking about me (laughs) for the first time, which is, Mm -hmm. as a parent, you don't realize that because we approach parenting from our adult perspective, Mm. and we don't understand that there's a process of development that's happening here that we really need to be reminded of. Mm. It's much like uh, if you've ever done the love languages as a a spouse or whatever with your kids, oftentimes your spouse loves in a different way that you you love. Mm And you actually have to rethink how to actually serve your spouse because if you do it out of your own way, they're not going to pick that up. It's the same thing with kids. Like you have to understand where they're at in the developmental process Mm. so that you can leverage that influence to the best of your ability in a way that's actually going to help them through this season of life. Um, And you're actually going to find out how smart your kid is in this phase um, because just ask them. They'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Because we we play games with our kids uh, quite often, and they'll just trash talk us, and they'll be like, Dad, you're so bad. I'm so much better than you at this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they have great strategies when it comes to some of these games. Mm. They can figure things out. I mean, that's you want them to grow in confidence because there's no such thing as an overconfident middle school kid Mm. because they're already going to be pushed to the limit at so many different levels. So you want to build that confidence as much as you can, Mm. understanding who they are, 
God's story in your family life and the security that you can bring as a family by mm. caring for them in this journey. So taking them down a notch is not a good strategy <laughs> at this time. <laughs> it, it all depends on the context. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so are we, that's, that's in general? Uh, yeah, yeah uh, like, kind of the bigger picture just to, to help them help parents think through that. So it's more specifically kind yeah, of in, let's in maybe, maybe start, let's take me specifically. So, um, I have a grade three or and a grade six or right now, but maybe talk to a, a, a parent of a grade fiver. What are a couple of the key, like, here's my grade fiver. We're hanging out on the weekend. Uh, they may think I'm mildly cool still, but uh, what, what are the few of the, the key tips that you would say here, here are a couple ways things that specifically is going on at this time and how to engage well at that, at that phase. Yeah. So, uh, grade five, um, they're starting, this is a fra- phase when, uh, friends, uh, matter a lot more. Mm. Um, they're starting to get into that very beginning stage where peers matter to them. And so as a parent, you need to understand that the natural development of how God has made us is to be relational. It's to, to grow into a social sphere of influence where we can give feedback, we can understand more about ourselves and actually be stretched and grow ourselves. Mm-hmm. And part of that is we want, even through Scripture, talks about how you want to surround yourself with people who have good character, who are going to walk wisely in this world. And so as parents, we have a tremendous opportunity to actually widen the circle for our kids by involving friends and peers into their world Mm. as a part of this growing thing. So if you know that your kid has a really good friend, you want to leverage that. You want that family over to your house. You want to Mm. create those opportunities and experiences for your kid because you want to solidify those good friendships as they move into the adolescent years. Okay. And so this is where uh, a good youth group or a preteen group or a sports team, like where there are good influences, like lean into that. Yeah. Lean into it. Look for the opportunities, more consistency. If you are a part of a church, uh, what are the programs that they have that, or if they don't, how can you volunteer and be a part of it? Mm. Because you want to leverage that opportunity uh, for them because they're starting to understand uh, different points of view for the Mm. first time. Mm. And so they're going to be gleaning information from a friend who they're spending a lot more time with than mom and dad at school and you would really hope that those values or those points of view are lining up with, with the ones you, that you have. Mm. And you're looking for the influence of other people, whether it's grandparents or aunts and uncles or other close family friends, that are going to start to develop that relational kind of influence in your kid's life as well. Okay. Um, and then, like I said before, if you want to get a, the attention of a grade five kid, make it a competition. So you should be doing lots of fun things as mm. a family at this age group. In youth ministry, I often talked about grade five and grade six were kind of the sweet years. Mm. It's really kids have learned kind of their worldview by this time. They know the rules. They know the boundaries. They know the, the reality of these things. And now they're just kind of before the chaos of puberty hits, they've kind of settled into a real sweet kind of understanding about life. If you hang out with them, they're pretty fun. Mm-hmm. They're outgoing. Uh you don't have a lot of social issues yet because they haven't really begun thinking about yeah, those things. Yeah. And so as a family, these are opportunities to like do vacations, to like um, begin to maybe get them into some sort of athletic thing where it's, there's some competitions, yeah. but also lots of good family, family games, like have game nights, board games, card games, mm. teach them these things, make um, bedtime routine or dinner time, different competitions, just crazy things because they're going to engage with that, because they're still kind of at the tail end of they're motivated by fun to where they're now moving into in this next stage where okay. they're really motivated by uh, friends. Okay, well, there's more we could do there. Let's, let's go grade six. So okay. what would you say? What, how, how are things different as we get into being 12 years old? So in grades uh, six, there's basically just think um, there's just no consistency when it comes to a grade six kid. Okay. So A, you're going to, you're, they're never going to be enough groceries in the house. They're hitting a growth spurt. Like mm. just this past month, my daughter in grade six going through another growth spurt and it's constantly the fridge is open mm-hmm. and she's asking what's to eat, what's mm. to eat. Mm. Can, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. 
So just think, they're gonna, they're probably gonna put on about ten pounds and grow about four inches mm. in grade six, depending once again on the development. Some where, where some develop are. a little yeah. later, but generally, grade six, a ton of hormones. So as a parent, you're walking in this. It's a landmine, mm. and it's just hormones. You have to be patient and you have to be just gracious because they don't know what to do with all of this stuff coursing through their body. Mm. Their brain is changing. They're moving from a concrete thinker to an abstract thinker. Mm. Their emotions are going crazy. Their body's hurting on all different places. And they're starting to figure out, like, now you put them in a situation where everyone else in their friendship is doing the same thing. (laughs) No wonder why they're, like, freaking out half the time because everyone in their world is going through similar stuff. Mm. And so it's just, it's really good um, to understand. And this is the year that there's going to be tears, both theirs and yours you're going to start to clash in this season Hmm. because they're stretching into the new realities of what it means to have peers, um, the changes that are happening and how they're thinking and the old way of parenting, it's morphing. It's moving from that kind of teaching mentality of a parent that you've done through the grade school years to now you're moving towards a coaching role where Hmm. it's more about just telling them this is what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. You did that in grade two. It's like, here's, Here's the rule and why. Hmm. In preschool, it's just all about discipline. Mm-hmm. Just here's the rule. Mm-hmm. Grade school, you want to add the why. Now the pre-adolescent, adolescent. Now it's about connecting, not, not about anything else. Okay. So I think that's very important to understand. And, um, you know, you're going to have a very dramatic kid hmm. who uh, needs someone to prove who cares. Hmm. Like that's what they're, well, who cares? And they need you in their world to help answer those questions. Hmm that we care, God cares, your community of faith cares. Hmm. Okay. You know, those are significant parts of a grade six. And is there anything in there, if if they're wrestling with their faith, is there any particular grade six, is there wondering about God, is there anything that's unique that's going on at that, at right, that zone? Yeah, as they, as they transition into that engineering, it's, it's, it's now uh, they're beginning to look at my childhood faith doesn't really fit in the box anymore. Hmm. It's just this story of like, well, how does that work when I go to school and my friend's bullying me or, or what does right. that look does, like? How does it apply? And that's why I think they have to start connecting to the larger story of Scripture, which hopefully parents are doing in the early stages, not moralizing the stories of Scripture, but connecting them to the actual the story of those things. And a great resource is the uh, Jesus the, or the Storybook Bible, hmm. um, where every story whispers the name of Christ. And so okay. it's a very kid-friendly, parent-friendly, but every story throughout the Old Testament connects to the story of what Jesus has done. So from the very beginning, you can begin teaching or laying down a foundation for your child around this concept, but it's got to take another step because they're now basically puberty... If you think about it, it's basically dele- deleting the whole system, okay. the whole hard drive. Huh. Everything that you've it's taught being them, reformatted. yeah, it's mm. everything you've taught them. It's basically disappeared, mm. and you're starting from scratch. But you're not starting from scratch in a concrete way. You're starting from scratch in an abstract way, mm. and that's where the the challenge of those the tension comes. Your kid's going to be like, I don't want to go to church. It's boring. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, why do we have to do this? That's where you're wanting, that's their engineering questions Mm. to say, now you're connecting them to the bigger story. Why does this matter? Why, why can we be a part of this? And how does it form us? And what difference will it make with my social fear of influence with me as just who I am developing as as a person? Okay. Because that's kind of the, the leading questions into junior high is the who I am questions. Okay which will be coming into the full adolescent years. Hmm. Okay, well, take us, in, take us into teenage years. You're 13, we're grade 7, uh, junior high, full-on. What's, what's going on here? Okay, this is the full-on, now everything you do is not cool. You are embarrassing. Hmm. Like, um, what they feel right now matters most to them. And that is a huge concept for parents to get through their minds. So thinking about the future is not, a, not anything they're yeah, wondering about. Yeah, and even about. thinking about... 10 minutes ago mm. has, has gone because literally they cannot remember what you talked to them an hour ago about mm. because their brain is, is changing and it's how it's, it's developing. Mm. So what they feel in that moment matters to them. That's why they get so emotional 
over what you would consider very small things, Mm -hmm. but their whole world is that right now. If their friend said something and their whole world is falling apart, take notice Mm -hmm. because that is all that matters to them. Mm -hmm. They don't need to know anything else. Um, Everything is happening now, just now, now. So just if you were as a parent and you have a grade seven kid, just write now down someplace everything they're doing. You're embarrassing now. Mm. (laughs) Everything matters to me now. Mm. Um, Everything is happening in a crowd. It happens now for me. Mm. I need to be with my friends. They're doing this. You know, the fear of missing out becomes a big part of that. And, um, you know, suddenly the social kid wants to know, they're asking a question, well, who's going? And uh, if you talk with any junior high pastor yeah. uh, in grade seven, that is the one thing that they, a kid will ask their parents the thing to go ever. to a retreat or yeah. event. It's like, you want to go to the event? Well, who's going? Yeah. That's all they care about mm-hmm. because in their world, it's all about that growing relational kind of influence mm-hmm. for them. So that's a, another window for parents to start to invite other people to say, hey, let's invite your friend Jack to come, you know, and off you go and we'll help you get connected here. Okay. Yeah. So it's not uh, just leaving it to their own devices. Again, thinking about who's around and, and bringing those people into the mix. Yeah. Okay. Anything else for a grade sevener? No, I think that's uh, some big kind of... So there's lots of physical, mental, social, emotional changes that happen through. I don't know if you want me to touch on some of those for different things, but... Well, let's let's go grade eight, and maybe we'll we'll touch back here. So, what's what's happening? What are the what's the big kind of perspective? I think as we're we're moving up on junior high years. Yeah, grade eight, you're starting to get into the 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 questions not only of you know who I am, but the identity side of things. They're starting to come to the fruition of this stage of an engineer before they move into the next stage of of high school. Okay. which is really where they start to move into this this way of thinking that becomes much more like a philosopher. Okay. They're starting to look at everything and question things and begin to like, does this make sense to me? Do I want to have this a part of my journey? And they're, and they're pushing against a lot of different things. So grade eight, you're moving to the, the tail end of this where you're now full-born into the friendship mode and the identity hmm. of who you are. And so kind of that moving into the grade eight, that's what it's all about. It's, it's the peer relationships. It, you're moving into um, a, kind of a breaking away of your, your childhood understanding to fully engaging with, okay, I'm kind of growing through this abstract way mm. of thinking and I'm starting to piece things, things together. Mm. So generally around grade eight, grade nine, you'll start to hit a little bit of a, a window where it feels like they're moving out of this turmoil to a, a sense of like... It's more th- settled. They're putting some things together, mm. but they're still asking big questions mm. because now it moves into a whole nother uh, realm of, of... I think I actually have a note on that. Yeah, so a philosopher, they'll seek to understand what is unseen and what, what cannot be measured. So high schoolers want to discover meaning and learn best by processing out loud. That's where the relationship of a mom and dad and in ministry, um, we find... Oftentimes, that's the time when parents check out because mm. my kid has freedom. They got the driver's license. They're driving, and it's like, okay, they're, we've kind of made it. It's like, no, this is when they actually need a sounding board, mm. not, a, out their, not advice. Their... They want to process, like, what about this? What about that? Mm. And for a parent to, to engage with that and listen. So the big question they're kind of looking at in the kind of high school, they're looking at grade 9, where do I belong? They're kind of figuring that out mm. in grade 10. Why should I believe this? That's why you got a lot of high school students really dropping off of church because like, this doesn't why, make sense. yeah, why do I believe this? Because maybe somebody hasn't helped them connect those connect dots through the engineering kind of ages. Hmm. And now they're really questioning these things. And maybe somebody's not actually giving them good, helpful answers to their tough questions because we're afraid to dive in ourselves. We're afraid to have doubts. We're afraid to actually have those conversations because we have our own insecurities. Right and figuring those things out. Uh, grade 11 is how can I matter? So it's, it's a sweet age because they're starting to think through, you know, how can I make a difference mm. in this world? That's why we love seeing grade 11 kids get involved in leadership and growing because they're asking those questions. And then grade 12 is simply like, what am I going to do? 
Mm-hmm. They're starting to figure that stuff out. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the post follow up of kind of this adolescent years, just so that parents kind of know. Don't worry about the philosopher years <laughs> in the preteen years. Just focus on their engineering mind and connecting those dots and being in the mess. And welcome to spirituality, like even our own journeys, <laughs> sure. right? Like that's just, it's being authentic. It's being real. It's, it's apologizing when you mess up and mm. letting your kids know that you're not perfect and telling your own story of your own failures in life and your own f- faith kind of doubts and questions because they're processing all this stuff and they're looking to you to say, does this make sense? Mm. And man, at least my parents are being real about it. Mm. And I think that's a encouraging thing for them. So you've given us a bit of a, a paradigm there. Uh, is there like a, is there a book or a resource that kind of talks about where, you know, these central questions that are floating in their minds. And again, it's not like when a person turns grade eight, there's an automatic switch that, now I'm asking a new question, but is there a, a book or a resource that you'd recommend if someone wants to dig into a little bit deeper on on some of these stages that you would you would push them to? Yeah, I think uh, there's there's uh, good books. One's called uh, Understanding the Teenage Mind, um, and there's there's a hundred of those um, kind of books. But anything that would help a parent understand uh, the teenage mind, I know. Um, uh, the Rethink Group, part of the Orange Conference that's run out of Atlanta, which was a significant part of the family ministry movement with uh, D6 out of Texas. Um, Both of these are, so a D6 conference, Mm. uh, they have tons of resources on on their website, Uh, uh, the Rethink Group, uh, the Orange Conference, they have a ton of family ministry resources, which would go into a lot of these different things based on the stages. But I think a really, a couple of good books for parents just to have a good understanding, one would be Sticky Faith by Kara Powell okay. um, because it, it helps parents understand how do you make your faith stick in your kid's life. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things that they talk about in that book is um, really having other adults as a part of your kid's faith journey. And this is where it becomes very significant moving into kind of the youth years, like as a church has a youth group. Mm-hmm. It's uh, with leaders that are a part of that group that are another a voice into your kid's life. Mm-hmm. Because studies will show that a kid that moves through the adolescent years that has three or four other adults at their church faith community mm-hmm. that are a part of their life and influencing their life, the, the stats show that the percentage of them staying in faith after high school goes up exponentially. Mm-hmm. So part of our parents' responsibility is to widen that circle of influence into our kids' life. So there's kind of two sides of that because we just finished talking about paying attention to who the friends that are are great influence, including them in your life. And it's not just other kids, it's adults as well. Yeah. Hmm. So when I was a, a junior high youth pastor, one of my main things that I talked with all parents about is we have great youth leaders that are part of your kid's life. They're their Mm. small group leader. It is so detrimental to you not to invest time and energy in those people Mm. because they have the ear of your child. Mm -hmm. So we would tell parents constantly, have the youth leader over to your house for dinner at Mm. least once a month or every couple months so that they're a part of your community Mm. and get to know them. Ask them how you can be praying for them and encourage them because if they are growing in their spiritual faith, they're influencing your kid in their spiritual Mm -hmm. faith because there will become a point of time in this adolescent years when they'll lean into the ear of somebody else that's not mom and dad. Right, before you, even as a parent. And as a parent, I better know who those people are. And I have an opportunity to leverage those voices Mm. into my kid's life. Mm. So for any parent that's listening, get to know your youth pastor and the youth leaders that have influence in your kid's life. And it's as simple as just inviting them into your life. Mm. Okay. Having dinner together. Sticky Faith. You said there's maybe one other one. Yeah, Sticky Faith. So, uh, And then the other one is uh, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity uh, by Reggie Joyner and Carrie Newhoff. It's a great book that talks about one of the things they talk about is widen the circle of faith. Um, and then just how to leverage your influence as a parent, because eventually in these teen years, you're moving into your capacity will be stretched to the point where you need other people to help in this 
journey of them processing faith. And so it's no longer this kind of in-your-home kind of life where you're disciplining and teaching mm-hmm. in the early years because now the network of friendships is growing, the influence of uh, culture is growing, and you, you need to expand that and open that up for your child to grow in their mm. understanding mm. of all these things. Mm. But you you have a significant role in that as a parent. Mm. I know uh, on a previous episode, I was talking with uh, Bryce Ashland Mayo about the use of social media and it kind of saying, he was saying, look, these are just tools. The technology is the tools and you don't want to close your your child off from the tools. You actually have to teach them to to navigate that world because it is going to be their world in the same here in different social environments. There's sports teams, there's yeah. scholastics, there's work environments, f- church environments, and we have to train them to, to adapt and to, to, to operate well in all those environments, not just keep it all about being at home. For sure. Mm-hmm. And I think also understanding that your child has a, sign- a, a unique bent. Hmm. Like as, you know, Proverbs talk about train up your child in the way they will go and they'll not depart from it. Right. Part of that verse is talking about understanding the unique personality trait of your child. Mm -hmm. So if your child is not an athlete, Mm -hmm. it's not forcing my athleticism Mm -hmm. into my child. It's like, same thing with the love languages. It's it's understanding who God made them to be. And that's what I want to train them up into. But those are becoming a growing thing. So if they're very artistic get them into artistic kind of things and help them grow in those, mm. those expressions with the friendships that have those, those things as well. But you want to expand those opportunities for mm. them because we want to raise kids that are living in the world, but not of it. And what does that look like? Mm. And that's part of our journey with them to help mm. them understand that. Um, I think another great book is uh, God's Big Picture uh, by Vaughn Roberts. So this is a really good uh, book for parents as your kids move into this engineering kind of phase uh, because it's all about the big story of Scripture. And it helps you read the Old Testament um, through to the prophets and all these things with the overarching story of the kingdom of God and what God is doing. And the more our kids can understand that, especially for parents, I think it would be helpful for parents to understand it Mm. in a deeper way so that they can help connect the seasons of life or the experiences with our kids to the grand story of what God is doing. Mm. Because I think oftentimes parents in the grand story, we understand that our kids are a gift from God, which is really what creation is all about in the story. And then you have this understanding of the fall. We quickly realize our kids are sinners. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take very many parenting years to understand mm-hmm. that this child is not bent towards God mm-hmm. <laughs> when they lie or steal or do something when they're three or four or whatever. Yep. But I think then that's where, when we understand the gospel or the whole story of Scripture, that's where a lot of parents stop and they move into behavior modification. Right. It's just like, let's do the right things. Let's do all these things. Instead of moving now to redemption, we, our kids need a Savior. Mm-hmm. They need to understand who they are in light of who Jesus is. And then ultimately, parents need to understand that our kids are eternal. Mm. That the goal in this life isn't to get my kid to have a good job, a happy marriage, and healthy kids. My goal in this job is for them to understand what the kingdom is and for how do they work for the king. And, pre- and prepare to, for a and life for a life of, of eternity. So the moment my child becomes a Christ follower, they're my brother and sister for all eternity. Mm. So it changes how I think about parenting when I understand the whole story of Scripture and that I can't just stop stop at behavior modification. I have to move to understanding redemption and what salvation looks like, but also discipleship Mm. Mm. and then the eternal kind of nature of those things. Mm. So, Uh, This is maybe a, a little... Uh, side trail here, but you, you, we were talking lots about um, the the parent obviously bringing friends, youth leaders into that. If there's a grandparent listening, is there any special, unique role that a that a grandparent plays, or as these stages are going on? For sure, huge, huge role for grandparents. If you have the opportunity of having grandparents that live close. Um, uh, for, for myself, my parents are down in the States, uh, but they make lots of efforts to come mm-hmm. visit. Uh, my dad uh, sends letters to my girls. Mm. Um, I was just talking to a grandma the other day who has her kids down in California, 
and she's like, what do I do? We, you know, we, we talk about, you know, generational kind of faith. And I was like, it's as simple as like writing your grandkids letters and hmm. having FaceTime conversations. Like on, on paper, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. On paper <laughs> <laughs> or emails, you know, text, text the parents and they can read it to their kids or show them. <laughs> uh, but FaceTime, uh, you know, having a weekly, uh, nighttime blessing that you can FaceTime to your grandkids. Mm. Like these are with technology now, the sky's the limit. Right. And when we look at the faith journey, it's it's not parents' unique role in this. It's it's generational, as I talked about earlier from mm. the Psalms, that it, or De- De- uh, Deuteronomy. It's my grandchildren. There's a responsibility. It's not about retirement and you know living the easy life now. It's like no, I have a responsibility. And the challenge comes if if my kids are not following Christ, Mm -hmm. how do I then influence my grandkids? Mm. And I was just talking with another grandparent that was um, in that situation, and they they just had really honest conversations with their kids to say, you know, can we pray with your kids? Mm. Can we support them with faith conversations? Like it was an honoring kind of conversation. Recognizing that exactly, we're not going to subvert my parents' authority because mm-hmm. we want our kids to honor our parents because that's as a sign of spiritual mm. maturity. But at the same time, grandparents need to get involved in whatever we can do to help support grandkids. So a, a great resource is the uh, Grandparenting Net- Christian Network, Grandparenting Christian Network. Mm. Uh, so we just, they've just come to Calgary. It's a, it's a U.S.-based organization. And there's a couple here um, that work out of First Baptist down, downtown. Mm. And uh, they're kind of um, leveraging this. So we just had a grandparenting conference at First Alliance Church. It was a citywide thing mm. in November. Um, we're looking at um, developing kind of a coalition of churches in Calgary area of how do we take grandparenting and the legacy of faith kind of from the 45 to the 65 years age group and how do they begin to leverage mm. some of those things. And so an interesting thing coming up in May is uh, they have what's called a grand camp and it's going to be out at River's Edge, and it's where grandparents can actually take their grandkids for a mm. weekend uh, retreat. And they do uh, f- uh, blessings together, um, laying on of the hands, and they just have great time with activities. And it's about building that relationship. So once again, it's another voice into my mm. kids' life that I want to grow mm. and be a part of. Mm. So so there's some really interesting things that are starting to happen, even in, in our in Calgary, Calgary area, okay. of how to leverage grandparents so they're not just feeling like, well, the, what part do we play? Right. It's, it's a significant role. And if you're listening right now, uh, we'll do our best. Uh, if you check out the website uh, at cochranealliance.com backslash real, we'll try to put uh, a few of the links to a few of these resources and books that Sam's mentioned so that... Uh, you can dive deeper if you want a little bit more information. Um, Sam, maybe we're running a little bit out of time here. Um, uh, are you seeing many parents in your environment navigating this early adolescent stage well? Or because the, the, one of the stories is, well, you just can't win. It's going to be a fail. Are, are, are you seeing people navigate this season well? Yeah, I think... Um it's it's hard to quantify what what well is for a lot of families because okay. you just can't unless you actually go into somebody's home and see what they're doing. It's hard to say or hear, you know, how it's really going. Other mm-hmm. than having really good conversations with with parents, um, but for the most part, like in a, in a church community where there's good support. There's good um, systems in place that help them plan these things out and good um, feedback into the seasons and helping them and understanding that we're actually discipling parents so they can disciple mm. their children. The, the point of that is it, it will grow into the life of their kids because as mom and dad grow, they automatically the kids will grow. Okay. And they will only grow as far as mom and dad. So mm. the better that we can support a parent in this journey, whether they're a single parent, a blended family, whatever that looks like for them, if they're growing in the understanding of what it means to follow Christ and to follow in obedience and then pass that on to their kids, I mean, those are going to be wins. And there's mm. always hope when Christ is mm. in in working, which he always is. Mm. 
He's always at work, even when we can't see him. And sometimes you look at your kids like, man, what's their future going to look like? (laughs) (laughs) You know, did I do enough to not like, you know, I'm probably going to have to pay for some counseling for them. (laughs) But did I do enough for them to see the wonder of who Jesus was through my life? And I think a great question for a parent would be, is like, what would my kids say about my faith if they were asked? Hmm. Would they say that I love Jesus? Hmm. Would they say that I'm committed to him? Hmm. Would they say that I'm real about my faith? Those are just great penetrating questions that I think we need to wrestle with. But I think another big thing is for parents, especially in Calgary, I don't know so much about Cochrane, it's it's the pace of life. It's having our kids in so many things hmm that we're just not creating the space to have good conversations and good family time. And but it's keeping them off. <clears throat> so many will say it's keeping them off the street. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, keep them off the street, parents. <laughs> but, it, it, but it's a false understanding of what it means to disciple your kids. If I'm just keeping them busy because I'm afraid that they're going to get into something, I've already missed the bigger conversation. Mm. Like I'm parenting out of fear. Right. And so if that's my posture, it isn't going to work because I'm now going to try to manipulate and control circumstances. So that they can't get into so trouble. So they can't get in mm-hmm. trouble. And all that's going to tell my child is, you're controlling, get off my back. And I don't want to have anything to do with your crazy faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's real honesty for a parent as you move into these seasons to say, okay, what are the windows? So for us... Um, we decided not to put our kids into stuff early on in elementary school. We wanted to do a lot of family stuff together. Mm. Um, we had lots of kids in our neighbors in hockey when they were in preschool. Sure. Um, <laughs> skating four times a week already, going into weekend co- um, tournaments and everything. Mm. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you have to weigh what you're going to do in the different seasons. And so for us, now we're starting to... So our daughter just got into community basketball this year. She's grade six, never played before. Yep. So that was the window because of the season. We want friendships. We want competition. We want to leverage some of those things mm-hmm. to help her and failure and losing and all of these things so we can have good conversations. And our daughter is a little more artistic, and so we put her into piano just this last year, but it's once a week. Mm-hmm. And the basketball is a practice on a Tuesday night, and we have a game on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So really simplified as we move forward. And we constantly are evaluating how many things are they going to go into. Mm. They'll never be in more than one thing in a semester. That's just a thing that we've made a decision as a family because we only get one shot at parenting yep. until they become hopefully our friends <laughs> post, <laughs> post-college, you know. <laughs> but when you look at it in those light of those things, it's like, okay, like let's just make wise decisions instead of making decisions because everyone else around us is doing it. Okay. And I think that's a huge pressure yeah. that a it lot of a people feel. It is huge pressure. I even feel, well, we feel it in our home too because whatever, you, you see your kids with certain capacities and they have uh, gifts and like you said, you want to yeah. get them into those communities, but then you get in, in that sports community or that music community and there's so much more development you could do and are you cutting them off from... Uh, <laughs> from you, other experiences yeah, or whatever, and right? you feel you feel the pressure right away. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think part of the adolescent journey through these years is doing these things to put them in different things so that they understand a little bit about their gifting. That's right. part of it. they're not gifted at. And then eventually I think your kid's going to get to a place where they get into later junior high and high school where there's like, I really like that. Yeah. That's great. Now you want to feel those passions mm-hmm. because that is then leading into the next stages of what am I going to do and how do, how do I... How do I contribute? How do I contribute oh, yeah. to our society or world or mm-hmm. whatever? And that's where you take that next step. Mm-hmm. But in these years, you're just helping them process and figure some of those things out because you want them to be confident mm. with who they are. Mm. And because there's enough messages out there that will tell them they're not good enough for anything. Huh. Well, Sam, I, I feel like maybe uh, the topic of how to help pre-adolescence, it's almost too gigantic of an issue. <laughs> uh, so you've done really well, at least to get us uh, moving a few uh, meters down the road. Maybe uh, we need to have you back in a future episode where we can zoom in a little bit more on a specific territory because there's so much we can talk about from even just this last little bit about 
how many activities to never mind their cognitive, emotional, and spiritual development. So thank you for uh, the way that you've really dug into this uh, as a pastor or for investing in so many families and maybe uh, for helping a few people that uh, are listening to this podcast consider more um, intentionally what they're doing with their uh, their adolescent or pre-adolescent. Yeah, I'm glad I can help if, if anything that we talked about today helps a parent take a step in their own parenting journey. Uh, that's a win for me. So thanks for having me on the, the podcast and uh, all the best to the parents out there as you continue to do the hard work of what God's called you to, to raise your kids to, to love Him. Mm. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Real Podcast. For more information on this episode and others, check out our website at cochranalliance.com backslash real. Until next time, keep it real.